0: Listening to live and on-demand shows has never been easier on NPR. All you have to do is go to the App Store or Play Store on your device and search up Access Internet Radio NZ. Select and download the first option at the top of the list. Once you've downloaded the app, the next step is to open the app and look for NPR. Once found, select it and then browse freely. Supported by New Zealand On Air. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to Property Matters, the show where we talk all things property, whether you're a landlord or a tenant, whether you're buying or selling or into commercial or industrial, there's something here for you in Property Matters. And today, my co-host, Billy Tossey, is away and you've got me with a croaky voice. It seems like everybody has colds at the moment and I haven't escaped that. A lot of news in the last week in real estate, so I thought we'd talk about some of that. Uh, not so much local, but there is things that affect people locally, and that's where I wanted to talk a little bit about the Kiwi Build reset that they've been talking about in the last week or so, and just to bring you up to speed on what that means. As you know, I've often thought that the government has gone around things the wrong way by trying to make homes more affordable, where in my view they should have been building. Uh, building more homes at the social end of things which they haven't been doing. So with the Kiwi Build reset there's just a few things that have come out. Um, With the coalition government the Labour has deployed uh, co-leader Marama Davidson according to stuff.co.nz and the Greens rent to own plan which is helping to distract somewhat in the media from the complete capitulation of abandoning the 100,000 homes over 10 years target according to this article. So what are they doing instead? They're trying to make it easier to get into properties by lowering deposits once more. The Greens with the rent to own plan, I'll talk about that during the show as well, with the idea being that the rent that you pay over a period of time gives you a longer tenancy which saves up for a deposit to buy a house, which seems to be quite a good idea, and it's just really, really tricky. It's, it's the problem that we've had for quite some time is trying to address this shortage of housing. So again, they've rejigged the Kiwi Build reset. Primarily, the lower deposit is something that will have, be quite a lot in the news that I'll talk about today as well. With the deposits coming down to five percent, I've got scores of paper in front of me, so just do a bit of a rearrange. Here we go. But let's talk first of all about a little bit about the OCR, the official cash rate. And realestate.co.nz has said that the cash rate cut has boosted the property market interest. So let's have a look at this. We know that first home buyers have really had to mortgage to the hilt and get huge mortgages, at least in recent times, and particularly in areas like Auckland and Wellington. The activity from the first home buyers has brought in an early spring to the housing market according to realestate.co.nz. So the lower interest rates from banks has meant that uh, more than a million viewers have visited in August to look at properties on realestate.co.nz. And this has been largely spurred on by the official cash rate coming down to 1%. So it means that according to the spokeswoman Vanessa Taylor that prospective home owners or home buyers I should say can look at a property market with fresh eyes in terms of affordability either for a first home or those moving up the property ladder. What was quite interesting is that, relatively speaking, compared to a number of years ago, you could get a a smaller sized mortgage, but the interest rates were higher. Whereas now you can get quite a large mortgage with low interest rates and have about the same repayments that people used to have 20 years ago. It's just that the borrowing is is a lot higher. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's uh, generally the way it's going Also what's been happening with things picking up in the market is it's springtime and things are picking up here as well as that more people are now able to access their Kiwi Savers or Kiwi Savings for a deposit. So generally pretty busy and they do make comment that the Auckland's average asking price has remained flat um, at what seems incredible to us in the Manawatu at $925,000. And whereas they do say in this particular article that uh, Coromandel, Gisborne, ourselves in Manawatu, Wanganui and the central North Island and a few other other regional areas had a record low number of properties for sale. And we're experiencing this in Manawatu and here's how it goes. If I want to buy a house at the moment... I'm competing against multiple offers but if I have a house to sell in order to buy then I'm a bit stuck because if I'm up against other people that have offers where they don't have homes to sell then I'm probably going to miss out and, he- and so here's the problem. People like me are reluctant to list their homes for sale because if they sell then it's entirely possible that I might not have anywhere to move to because there's not a lot of homes available and there's not a lot of rental homes available. And it's, it, there's been a real uh, pick up in listings in spring. We're hoping things may become a little easier, but the ongoing immigration into this area is meaning that housing's pretty pretty difficult. Uh, in other news, the New Zealand Herald was reporting on ANZ's prediction that the official cash rate will keep falling. In fact, there might be three more cuts by May. So low inflation and slowing growth is is forcing the Reserve Bank to cut the official rate three times by May they're saying and that they expect 25 points in November, February and May. What does this mean? It means the OCR if their prediction is correct will come down to 0.25% which is incredible and certainly it's not necessarily saying that the economy is in drastic state or anything like that but it's just designed to try and help build things up again get people spending their money and, and so forth. So the what does the Reserve Bank's official cash rate actually mean? Now I had a bit of research into it, and I looked at uh, an article on Stuff where a, um, a daughter was interviewing her, her father, who's a business journalist, Patrick Smelly, And she was asking him, what does this mean? What does the OCR, the official cash rate coming down for someone like her, um, she says she knows it's good if you have a mortgage, but what does it mean for renters or people with few savings? Well, unfortunately, it doesn't mean much for renters with little savings. Um, The the, the problems with renting at the moment is actually that there's not enough houses. So So the OCR and the interest rates coming down doesn't really affect people renting. Also, for people who have no mortgage and some savings, it means that putting their money in the bank is even less attractive than it was before because the interest rates in the banks are coming down. Again, it's all a balance. It's good for people buying houses, but if you're, say, baby boomers or someone similar where you've uh, paid off your, your home, then really it's, it's hard to find places to put your money uh, when, the, when the OCR is down. Why do they do that? It's so that we'll spend money, is the plan, and that helps getting the economy going. So they're wanting more people to think, gee, it's hardly worth having money in the bank. <laughs> I might use it for something else. Now, central banks don't always cut the interest rates because there's trouble ahead. Um, in fact, the reductions from 2.5% OCR after the global financial crisis to the current level of 1% have actually taken 10 years. So it is is slow. Uh, but however, it is reported on often, and uh, in my view, as you've probably heard me say on this show before, with the housing market in the Manawatu and all of the jobs that are coming to this area, uh, it's highly unlikely that, that things are going to slow at least around here. Other things that have happened, talking about the Kiwi Build reset the government has been doing a number of little tweaks. And there was an article by Miriam Bell on goodreturns.co.nz, which was quite interesting. So this idea of 5% deposits now for first-home buyers, it's one of the centrepieces of the Kiwi Build reset. But advisors are actually asking whether it'll actually make any sort of difference. Um, You can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to help people to buy houses, particularly first-home buyers. So according to Miriam Bell, the scrapping of the goal to build 100,000 homes over 10 years um, has been replaced under the reset with reducing a deposit for what was called a KiwiSaver Home Start loan. It's now called a Home First Grant to 5% from 10. Now many commentators such as the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand Chief Executive Bindi Norwell has welcomed the move saying it will significantly help a number of first home buyers. However, she says that saving for the initial deposit is often the biggest hurdle to getting on the property ladder. And this is interesting because she says that this change means that Queenstown Lakes District is now the only area in the country where a deposit required to purchase a median priced home would be more than $50,000. So, so for, particularly for Aucklanders though it's really bringing this, this amount down um, to get into a home. However, at this stage Westpac is the only one of the big four banks to be part of the Welcome Home Scheme. In other words, there might be a limit on how much lending actually gets done with a 5% deposit because while they might make it available as part of their reset, it doesn't mean the banks have to do it. The banks can decide what to lend because it's their money. So if the banks don't want to lend with a 5% deposit, they won't. So lenders will be doing all the normal things but they want to be making sure that you're able to repay your mortgage, that you're going to live financially if there's changes in the interest rates that you'll be okay. So one thing that came about after the global financial crisis was stricter conditions around lending, that won't change, it'll just be that you'll be a bit easier to get a deposit. So um, good news for first home buyers Um, but once you decide that uh, once you, you look at it and, and try and figure out how many people will it actually affect, what they're doing is they're halving the deposit that people need to save. Uh, however, it's very difficult to know how significant that effect will be. And that was according to uh, Gareth Kiernan, who's the Chief Forecaster of Infometrics. He says it's very hard to tell how many people will actually be able to take advantage of it. So we'll just watch this space. To me, it looks like a little bit of tinkering and just to, to reiterate, I, I sincerely believe that just building a huge amount of state-type housing is probably a better solution for controlling the market. Uh, last time I checked, uh, in Auckland there's a, a deficit of 46,000 houses, which is quite incredible considering uh, you know, the, the context of this arrangement. So earlier on I was talking about the Green Party that as part of their coalition deal have, have put on the table and, and are talking about this idea of what they called build-to-rent. And this was on an article on nzadvisor.co.nz. It says, government urged to back build-to-rent scheme to address the housing crisis. So property investors and developers are urging the government and councils to back build-to-rent schemes in order to address the housing crisis. This is actually a new type of housing investment, which builds accommodation for the rental market and offers tenants more security compared to traditionally renting by providing longer tenancies and with less uncertainty. So Bindi Norwell, the Chief Executive of the Real Estate Institute, says that they back calls to increase build-to-rent opportunities. So how this works, and, and Bindi Norwell said, that generally speaking the build-to-rent property developments can offer renters increased security and a higher consistency of standards than in traditional apartment buildings which are built to sell. So people live in the home and they pay a proportion of their rent. And I'll give you an example of, of a family here in another article from stuff.co.nz. So they rent the house, but a proportion of that gets put aside building up for a deposit. So after their reasonably long lease, let's say it was five years, they'll have the deposit to then buy that home as their own. So it seems to be quite a good idea um, if you get the the proportions right. So an article on on stuff Recently, said that breathing again, family given step up into home ownership. Grace Luina and her family were paying $600 a week for what they call substandard four bedroom Pickeringer Heights rental property, but last month that all changed and they moved into a new affordable four bedroom home in Tumaki. Even better, in five years' time they'll have the chance to buy it. So they could just now, this is in line with uh, some advice that they got, some budgeting advice, and it's through something called the Housing Foundation. So through the Housing Foundation, they set a budget, they've got KiwiSaver going. Um, the intention is that they use the lower rent that they're able to pay in that property to save for buying the property when the time comes. And in five years' time, if they choose to go ahead and buying the property, this is quite cool, they receive 25% of its increase in value. So if the property went up by $100,000, uh, they can get a quarter of that to go towards paying that house off. So we'll just see how how this goes, but it certainly helps people to get into property. But right now we're going to go to a little bit of music. We're going to have a break. This is Dave Dobbin with Language. My hands are tied We're back with Property Matters. This is Greg Watson. It's great having your company. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about a little bit of the KiwiBuild side of things. And there's probably one last article before we move on to some tenancy-related matters. And this is quite interesting because one of the other changes in KiwiBuild has helped people to get into properties. I'll, I'll run through it with you, but here's the headline from Stuff. It says, Is it better to buy your first home with a stranger rather than your partner? Now why would that be a topic as such? What's happening is millennials are staying for longer than previous generations, or staying single for longer than previous generations. They've got more debt, like student loans for example, they earn less real income and need to save 10 cent for a deposit in a marketplace where the QVs are doubling compared to what they were in their parents' time. So it's not surprising then that at the moment around a third of New Zealanders are renting. Now... It's pretty simple to say that a double income is the fastest way to save for a house deposit and to secure a home loan from the bank. So Stats New Zealand data shows us that in 1978 the median age for marriage was 20 to 23. Now it's 29 to 31. So as a single person the real estate market can seem really stacked against you and as couples have access to two Kiwi Savers and two Home Start grants. However, you don't have to resign yourself to the fact that you'll be renting forever because you're not in a relationship. More and more Kiwis are actually getting into property with their friends, colleagues, family members, and even strangers. And as strange as it may sound, even in some cases, multiple couples are teaming up. So, what's happened is they're giving more flexibility in this Kiwi build process on types of co ownership. And Brad Parsonson, who's the co founder of a startup app called me you we um, calls it the tinder of buying property platform he's got this website where you can go in and say where you would like to live and he's helping to alleviate the housing crisis by providing the younger demographic a way that they can earn wealth by joining together buying property and as that property grows in value they can then move on from there So according to him, he says that rather than focusing on building X amount of new houses, say one per couple, co-ownership means that you could add an extra body or two to the existing houses and reducing residential debt. Now, another thing he says is that depending on where you are in New Zealand, house prices are pretty outrageous. And pooling your funds together gives you a higher opportunity to try to secure a mortgage bond on a property you might actually want to live in versus something you have to renovate from the get-go or only buying because you feel you have no other option. So, for example, if one person with $30,000 saved goes into co-ownership with two, owners, two others that also have $30,000 saved, they can afford a deposit on a $700,000 home. So this is the one of the pros. It, it reduces that barrier of getting into a house. It also allows for costs such as mortgage repayments, maintenance and renovations to be shared. One pair of women had $80,000 between them and bought a three-bedroom house. They both pay $350 a week towards a mortgage and rent out the master bedroom for $360. So he says that now the tenant is paying off their mortgage rather than them paying off someone else's in a flatting scenario. So he sees this as a way of young people pre-marriage if you like or or pre-settling down to to get involved because at the moment the average age for buying a house is 31 to 34 years old so that's a lot of years in between that you're you're almost guaranteed to live with people you don't know so he says why not do that but at least put money into something for your future which um, makes me smile but this isn't actually a new idea uh, this has been an idea for quite some time. It's just not a very popular one because there are some cons. So the pro, I've mentioned the pros. It's much easier to get underway and, and build up some equity. Now, the cons are that you become what's called in at least real estate law, joint tenants. So you co-own a house together without being in a stable relationship. So that's not, nothing new there. So you, But you can have issues that are similar to flatting with people, which is that you know, what happens if you don't like the people (laughs) and those sorts of things. Um, Because the frequently asked questions come about, you know, what happens if a mortgage buddy decides that they don't like you or gets a new partner or wants to have kids or or that sort of thing. So uh, you'll only own, say, half of the house in a situation where there's two of you, but as a joint tenant, you are liable for the whole mortgage. So it's important that... Uh, well, what it means is if one person can't keep up their mortgage repayments, the other owners must cover the shortfall. It's a little bit like if you're a flatting and a, and a flatmate doesn't pay. So it's also worth noting that if you have a mortgage together, your credit record will be linked with your co-owners. So what somebody does can affect your credit rating. So what's riskier? Is it is it better to start earlier and have that risk and build up some equity or, or to start lace, later? Well, I think that when purchasing a property with a stranger, you're in it, you should be asking all the awkward questions. Are you going to share the cleaning? What time do you stay up at night? Do I like your friends? But have all those things written out in a legal document. And the uh, Parsonson from Me, You, We said that his clients have covered everything like, if you get a partner, they have to pay their way, and so forth. So. It's not something that I would be entirely comfortable with. It's not something that many people would be entirely comfortable with. But it is interesting when house prices rise that some of these ideas come to the fore. We're going to move on to some rental matters now. And there's always plenty of rental matters in the news, whether they're good landlords or bad landlords or good or bad tenants. So I thought I'd just bring you some of the stories from the last week. This headline from Stuff says, Tenants' Four-Year Nightmare of Living in a Landscaping Project. Now, if you've ever had some building work done at your house or had some landscaping done at your house, it's a, it's a bit of an inconvenience, but four years takes it to a whole different level. A uh, Hamilton tenant says she had to move out of her home because the stress of four years of landscaping work at the property. Now, there is some extenuating circumstances, and in fact, the tenant rented the house in the fl- first place because of its beautiful surroundings and it was worth worth a higher rent because it had privacy, it was relaxing, and because she was spending most of the days at home, having peace and quiet and a place to work was wonderful. However, the property was sold after she moved in, and one of the first things the new owners did was organise to have contractors remove all the trees between the house and its neighbours. And they said they would make a nice backyard for her with retaining walls and so forth. Now, to cut a long story short... In twenty sixteen, so remember that the this work on the tree removal started in twenty fifteen. twenty sixteen they asked the owner if the backyard might be completed in time for their wedding reception in march twenty seventeen. They were assured several times it would be completed, and they patiently waited while landscaping work and retaining walls was put in. However, no work had even started by end of twenty sixteen and Again, to cut a long story short, it was well into 2018 and this year where the retaining wall had to be done and redone three times, unfortunately, due to bad workmanship. Now, they had, they had paid $100 less per week, um, according to the property manager, who I know personally, Ksenia Krishina and she said that there'd been ongoing problems with the contractors and that the rent had been reduced. Now, there isn't an outcome to how this is going to pan out, but boy, that's, uh, that's a lot to ask for anybody, four years. So let's have a look at another situation here. Uh, and this headline from Stuff, they do like sensational headlines. Tenant fails to reduce the tenancy agreement in ordered to pay $12,665. So this is where a tenant tried to shorten his rental agreement. So he had a, an agreement, the time was set in stone, but he claimed he was moving to care for his dying friend. But actually, he went on holiday to Bali, and so it's been found that he must pay the landlord $12,665. So he signed up for a 12-month term, and the rent was $1,200 a week. It was meant to start on April 11th, but a day after signing the agreement, he told the landlord a family friend in Bluff, who he thought of as a brother, had been diagnosed as terminal cancer. Now, under the Residential Tenancies Act, a fixed-term tenancy may be reduced due to unforeseen changes in either party's circumstances in case of severe hardship. Now, that would qualify, in my view. So what happened? Uh, The the landlord was arguing that Moses should have had to pay the rent up until a replacement tenant was found. Now, this technically is also correct. So so the landlord tried really hard to find replacement tenants. Not sure how hard Mr Moses tried to find replacement tenants. Um, And then the owner even employed a property management company to try and find replacement tenants. Um, However... The, the the circumstances around um, the situation with a friend in Bluff was actually that he went to see his friend on March 28th and arrived back just before the tenancy started. He then flew to Bali for a 10-day holiday. The end of April he went back to Bluff for a few days. His friend did pass away and then he returned, returned to Auckland. So a very unusual situation. But what was found uh, was that the tribunal said that Uh, Moses did not intend to move back to Bluff, which is an important point in this case. He just travelled back and forth to see his friend. If he'd intended to move back there to be with him or care for him, it would have been different. But he intended to remain living in Auckland. So uh, this is what the tribunal found, which meant that they were unhappy for him to try to stop that tenancy earlier. So that tenant ended up having to pay $12,665 in lost rent uh, for trying to shorten that tenancy under what was decided to be not very accurate uh, pretenses. That's actually all we've got time for today on the Property Matters show. It's been lovely having your company. I look forward to you next week and uh, having Billy Tossey back on deck for all of his pearls of wisdom. Have a wonderful week. Support this programme and others like it by giving a donation to NPR. More details at npr.nz.